Are you ready for my prop? This is my prop. What? Ugh. Are you really not gonna have your snake on stream? Uh, I just fed him. So if I manhandle it's him too so much, he'll throw up a dead rat all over me. <laughs> what, you don't want that? I No, I actually don't. Anyway. Oh, high upon something and da-ba-da-da. Mighty George him. something got home on the plains. Baddest man in the whole damn town. I don't know all the words to this song. And home came his good horse, but never came he. To the podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Jackson McMurray. <laughs> and my name is Adeline Sunflower McMurray. <laughs> it's really bad. The audio is not good. <laughs> That's great. It's the auto <laughs> No, it's really good. I don't know what you're talking about. Beautiful. Are you guys tired of this yet? Do you wanna do you wanna do the podcast now? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> so are you ready for this? A series of unfortunate events. A series Podcasts. of no good happenings. <laughs> the, the Bad Times Expressway. The book. <laughs> the movie. One. The Polar Express. But instead of letting children on, it runs children over. Hi, my name is Alan <laughs> McMurray. Yep. Nope, Kate's right. It was a 40 minutes of me trying to figure out how to record. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, for those listening at home, not watching our stream, this is our inaugural uh, stream slash podcast. This is our first time recording our podcast in front of a live studio audience. And it went that... smoothly. No it hiccups at well. all. <clears throat> Business as and... usual. I don't have so, to hold my microphone in my hand because the camera's facing the other way than the microphone. Not a thing. <laughs> Why? Why don't you have a stand for your? I do have a stand, but I have to put it on the desk, and I cannot put it on the desk where my phone is. <laughs> so I just have okay. to hold it. All right, fine, whatever. And business uh... as usual. <laughs> so, so if you hear us reacting to things that we say on chat. Or that people are saying on chat to us. Adeline, Adeline's watching the chat. She'll always make sure to say what it is out loud so people at home aren't out of the loop. But, exactly. Uh, yeah. This is something we're going to start trying to do regularly if we can. So hopefully in the future, if you're listening to this, you can check our Twitter or our YouTube channel and you'll see uh, when our next stream is going to be. We don't quite know yet. Ideally, we're going to have a, a set schedule um, but until we figure out what that is, uh, this is the first one, and we'll see how it goes. Yes. Goes pretty well so far. <laughs> Definitely, Definitely very smooth. Very smooth. Easy peasy. Definitely super smooth good. As butter. <laughs> so, or margarine. In, so first Please of all, sponsor us margarine. <laughs> do you want to hear uh, something very interesting about this movie that I read on the Wikipedia page? Sure. So. Okay, well, first of all, I should just talk about the movie in general, mm -hmm. which was made by Nickelodeon and Paramount Pictures together uh, with Barry Sonnenfeld attached to direct, director of both Adam's Family movies and all three Men in Blacks, like this guy who seems very much suited to this kind of movie. Um, but at a certain point during the pre-production, he was like, hey, what if... Um, it wasn't, like, more about Count Olaf being goofy than pretty much anything else. What if actually it was mostly about the kids? Like, you know, it they're the protagonists of the film, probably, right? And the studio was like, get your goddamn asshole off of this set. 
because we need somebody who's going to appreciate Jim Carrey for the genius that he is. We need someone to uh, love Jim Carrey, and if you can't do that, <laughs> then I don't know why you're here. So they bring on director Brad Silberling, who, not to be a jerk about it, but, like, who's no Barry Sonnenfeld. <laughs> no, um, we've looked this up before. <clears throat> His, like, history of movies that he's directed is kind of, uh, none of them. Well, he did the Casper the Friendly Ghost movie yeah. from the 90s. Mm-hmm. That was, like, his first movie. Then he did a couple of just, like, inner-city personal dramas and, like, romances. And then he did Series of Unfortunate Events. And then he did a couple more, like, small-budget romances. So, I don't know. He's just hanging around lately, I guess. Uh, but here's... So, first of all, I think it's hilarious that there are so many stars attached to this picture. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like... Those were all people who were excited to work with Barry Sonnenfeld. And then he and was not attached to the project switch. anymore. <laughs> when, yeah, when they swatched him out with with uh, Brad Silberling at the last minute. Like, they get that That's text and they're just imagine. like, mm, mm, <sighs> Like I... Meryl Streep being like, oh. Can I say, can, I still have to do, I signed the thing? Okay. I signed the thing already? I did, I uh, thought. But anyway. I thought I hadn't done that yet. <laughs> So here, here was the pitch. So they, this was meant to be a franchise, right? That was the whole idea from the outset. Um, and here's... So they made the movie, did pretty well. You know, it's not like it bombed. It made its budget back by like one and a half times. It was not like a huge success, but it was a success. And uh, so they were like, yeah, we're going to make a sequel for sure. And it just kind of never came together. And there was an interview with Brad Silberling from 2009, six years after the movie came out. No, here's what he says. Here's what he says his pitch was for the series of a much fortunate event sequel. My idea for it is something like this. Uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, The kids are too old to just come back and make a sequel like it's not a big deal. They've aged way too much. So here's what I'm thinking. What if, uh, beginning of the movie, Lemony Snicket comes out and he's like, Hey guys, what's up? Sorry about that last movie. Those were all actors and sets and whatever. This time, we're gonna show you the real-ass documentary footage of what happened to the Baudelaire's. Then you start the movie, all in claymation. It's a claymation movie. (laughs) That was his... His idea was to have each sequential movie be in a different medium. So, like, each one would be a completely different, like, type of movie in general. And, like... <laughs> Adeline just, lot, just unplugged her microphone <laughs> right in front of me. It wasn't when I was talking, though, so it's fine. You just I just made editing a million times harder for you, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I think we were the world was cheated out of this movie in which um, <laughs> suddenly it's stop motion and we're just supposed to believe that this is the real happenings. But I feel like... God, that's so good. There, there are a lot of directors in Hollywood that are very optimistic about what people will allow them to make. I feel like you oh, hear yeah. those pitches all the time where they're like, our idea for the second one was that um, it was going to be in claymation and there was going to be a lot more sex in it. And you're like, why did you ever think no anyone would let that. you make that? Why did you ever think you would be allowed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, Well, it, we said this when we, I don't remember what episode it was, but when we talked about uh, Sweeney Todd. And it's like when right. they people didn't know it was a musical when they came when it came out. So when it opened right. and it was a musical, everyone was like, "What the fuck?" But like, imagine <laughs> that if it's like, "Oh, it's series of unfortunate events two. You're so excited. It's been like ten <laughs> years or whatever, and it just opens up and it's immediately stop motion. Like, wouldn't that just be incredible? Wouldn't that just be so cool?" <laughs> And all of the footage they used in the trailers was live action and it's just Lemony yeah. Snicket. Just doing things. <laughs> or if they, like, went all out and, like, did film actual stuff with the actors. <laughs> just for the trailers. Like, just and for nobody the trailers. Knows. God, that would rule. That'd be so good. Um, Cade in the so, chat asked me if I've watched an acronym, but I'm not sure what the acronym is. So I'm not going to answer it and maybe wait for them to clarify. Wait, what did just tell you what it is? 
Lamo, you watched H L R A I. H L R A I. Hill Hill Hilvray Hilvray. Heroes. Loving. Villains. Radical. All <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> is that a show? I've never heard of that play. show. Uh, what is? I God damn it! I gotta figure out what it is. <laughs> Kate, please, Kate, come back. The <sighs> come back and tell me what that means. Who, who loves Raymond? Raymond, who loves Raymond? <laughs> I don't. That's for sure. <clears throat> um. Okay, we gotta move on. Okay, I'll <laughs> so, wait. I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated. Thank you. But, um, so that is the thing. So the other, I think, most interesting thing about this movie in terms of, like, the legacy it leaves behind Mm -hmm. is this is the only movie I can think of where, like, a director sort of got taken off the project because of creative differences. It didn't work out and they never got to really fully realize their vision. Mm -hmm. And then, like, 15 years later, they just got to, like, go for it a second time. Like, they just got another chance at it in the form of the Netflix TV show, which Barry Sonnenfeld was the director and executive producer of. So, like, that's just so wild. Like, that's never happened before. Yeah. Did you lose your microphone again? No. <laughs> I was reading okay. the chat. I'm going to call okay. out Cade live on the podcast. They were talking to Tabby about a Half-Life VR thing. <laughs> so nothing. Oh, I should have known. Nothing I to do known. with that's anything. about. So they're just... just having a different conversation in our chat. Yeah, distracting yeah, yeah, us yeah. So now that I, when Got I it. say it, I sound dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> just to throw us off. Yeah, um... <laughs> we're gonna throw some curves at you. Just start talking <laughs> so, about yeah. Portal in the comments. <laughs> so the, but yeah, it's really interesting that like the the TV show and the movie are really visually similar mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They share a lot of the same, like, production design sensibilities. Oh, yeah, definitely. With the caveat that uh, the show looks, like, a thousand times worse. Oh, really? <laughs> Low-key. This movie looks real good. It's been, yeah, it's definitely hokier. It's got a much different tone. This The thing about this movie that I still think about, even coming back to it 15 years later, however long it's been, this movie looks fucking awesome it does this is it's got such a strong aesthetic and like the production design is so tactile and everything is so real series of unfortunate events yes is like i was looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff that they have listed on wikipedia Mm -hmm. and like basically everything was a practical set oh yeah uh and a lot of it was like practical in ways that i wasn't expecting like the convenience store on the train tracks was apparently just like a full sort of diorama in a circle with oh. like a what do you call uh, like a matte painting a that like goes box, all the way around it <laughs> right but it had like a matte painting that they had stretched around the circle of what they had wow. so that potentially they could film from any angle and have that like matte painting like desert going off into forever without using any green screens was the house falling into the water like as they run out of it was that a practical model falling into water yeah a lot of that stuff is practical they did on a big tank on the paramount film yeah because i was watching Um, i was like that looks really good like that doesn't look like cg yeah no the movie looks fucking great and i have said it a few times now but i just want to reiterate this movie looks awesome yeah and it's shot by fucking emmanuel lubetsky which is hilarious <laughs> cinematographer of gravity and the revenant yeah and it shows weirdly <laughs> yeah it does it rules it looks so good it feels so good it's one of those movies that like it's just i don't know it's the strongest case for why practical like practical effects are always better and, like, yeah, because... not to be that guy about it. Because <laughs> we like, all know. We all know. Yeah. It, it just always looks better. And when you do everything in CGI, you can tell and it doesn't feel real. And, well, like, so this here's... movie and fucking Force Awakens is the best feeling movie that's anyone's ever made. 
Oh yeah, like it looks no great. movie, no movie feels better to look at than Force Awakens. I don't care how you feel about that movie, it is it's just incredible. Got, effects are great. It's but, the crunchiest goddamn movie, and it rules. I love the crunch. What well, it's just, just talking about this movie. The one shot that I think that they had to do digitally is weirdly the one where they're playing fetch, and Sunny like catches the like stick in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, the CGI. And baby. it's weirdly CGI, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's like yeah, no, that's it the, that proves everything that we're talking about. That yeah, oh, it looks better <laughs> right. when you actually just throw a stick at a baby. What are you worried about? <laughs> Because, like, it's like it's been a while since I watched a TV show because I'm terrible about watching TV shows. So I, like, watched the first season of the TV show a while ago, and then I just never came back to it when the second season came out. Right. Uh, but uh, that was, like, the biggest complaint about the show was that the baby was CGI a lot of the time. Yeah, the baby looked weird. horrible. Baby. Looked really bad. Yeah. There was one part... Where, like, in the book, it's written that she, like, gets in a sword fight with her teeth with a woman with a sword. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of a goofy, funny thing. And, if hey, if I were in charge of making a TV show, literally the first thing I would say is, like, uh, hey, we so obviously we're not doing that. Yeah. But they were like, no, let's just fucking go for it. Let's just have a CGI baby fight a woman with a sword with her teeth why not do that sure let's go for it and it is the stuff of nightmares it's not um doesn't she also get like tied to like the log that's gonna go into the log splitter right and it's also cgi it's one of those things it's like i don't remember that you could get around you could do that practically and just like edit around it like you could put her on a thing and then just edit it moving and just have her on a stationary thing Right. Like, and it's I, kind I of... Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a shame. And obviously, it looks better the longer the show goes on. Oh, yeah. But uh, that show has uh, Bo Welch doing the production design, who's, like, a famous pro- production designer who did, like, Beetlejuice and a lot of the early Tim Burton stuff. Oh, gotcha. Directed, he directed Cat in the Hat. Um, mm. But <laughs> he's... Uh, Amazing. He's, like... Yeah, but he's, like, known as, like, one of the best production designers in the business. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that show feels kind of empty. Just, like, it's not... Just, I don't know, it has to be just budgetary. Because TV is so expensive to make. Oh, yeah. Like, you've got to do everything so fast. And you've got to do everything... you got to do so much of everything. That you just Mm -hmm. can't give everything the same amount of attention that you give. This movie... Do you want to guess the budget of the movie? Uh, movie budgets are always way more than I expect them to be. I'd say it cost like, 140 million dollars to make this movie. Wow, that's way bigger than I thought. That is insanely high. I was like, gonna say like movie... five million. <laughs> Adeline. Yeah, I know. No I don't know how, how much it costs to make a movie because it costs um, so much. It's ridiculous. Just like to put it in perspective, like if a movie that's like a regular, like mid-budget small movie. Like, people talk about movies making $100 million as, like, that's kind of where you know it's made, it's a success, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Knives Out grossed $131 million. It's like, hell yeah, we totally did it. $130 million, we made it. And it's like, this movie costs more than the success of any other movie, basically. Yeah. To make in the first place. And, you know, it did pretty well. I think all said and done, it made, like, $300 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, it paid off, more or less. Um, well, not to just... But yeah, this movie was insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Not to just talk about the TV show for too long, but, like, it's relevant right. because, like you said, yeah. it's, like, someone's full vision coming together. And it's weird. The aesthetic of the TV show is, like definitely different but it's not it's like different tonally like the show is much more colorful than the movie is the movie does not Mm -hmm. have a lot of color in it but it makes sense tonally because it's a kind it's a dark and depressing tragic story and so even though i i tend to like things better when they're colorful like i think you can still be just as dramatic and whatever when things are colorful but i don't think it fits the tone as well when everything's super colorful right. and like happy. Like it kind of fits the juxtaposition that the story mm-hmm. kind of deals with sometimes. But I think overall the dreary, the dreary aesthetic works better than the like bright and happy aesthetic does. You know, right for sure. And because that's sort of the idea of the TV show is that it's you know it's supposed to like stand out. Like mm-hmm. oh, isn't it so weird that everything looks so colorful oh, and happy? What time period is it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but like this movie is sort of, and just tonally, I think it's interesting. The TV show is going so far out of its way to be funny. Like every every character has like zingers and one liners like all the time in oh, that yeah. show, mm-hmm. and that's like part of the tone of it. But like in the in this movie, in the um, Brad Soberling movie, it's like basically the only person who's funny is Count Olaf. Yeah. And everyone else is played pretty straight, like, pretty much all of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, not that it's not funny, it's just not, like, ha-ha funny, you know? Yeah. It's just sort of, like, wry, you know? Yeah, exactly. It feels um, kind of, how, I've never read the books, you adore the books. Is there a lot yeah. of comedy, or is it more of that just wry style in the books themselves? I mean, yeah, it's just, like, it's, you know, it's not ha-ha funny, it's just, like, sort of generally it's 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 humorous, nose exhale you know? funny <laughs> exactly yeah but not even that it's just like intellectually funny yeah. you're just like oh that's like i don't know everything is so like sort of clever and witty and it's mm-hmm. never like zingers and one-liners or whatever it's just like oh and now we're going to damocles dock and you're like i that's sort of a literary reference and i get that it's like that's kind of the the joke of it gotcha. you know yeah um in, one more but, thing I um, wanted to say about the show was that the casting of Count Olaf, I think right. Neil Patrick Harris does a very good job, but he's also playing a very different Count Olaf. Mm-hmm. And it also, that was the one thing, since I started watching a TV show, because I grew up with this movie, but either way, it's like, when Neil Patrick Harris comes out as Count Olaf, my first thought is, that's Neil Patrick Harris with a dumb wig on. <laughs> like, that's just... Right, yeah. That's just what he looks like. But then, when Jim Carrey comes down the stairs, he just... He looks like Count Olaf. Just, like, to right. the T. Like, it's crazy Absolutely. how much he looks like Count Olaf. And, like... And his performance in this movie... Is so good. Is just, like, so perfect. One of the things I made note of... I have this, like head canon in my head that Cat in the Hat and Series of Unfortunate Events are like sister films because they're both like big expensive adaptations with child casts and famous comedic actors in very makeup-y roles. That's fair. And they're both like shot by Emmanuel Lubetsky and cost a lot of money and came <laughs> out in the same year. Um, <clears throat> and I was just thinking because we watched Cat in the Hat semi-recently. Yeah. And the difference between... Uh, Serious Fortunate Events and Cat in the Hat in terms of its lead actors is that Cat in the Hat is so obsessed with Mike Myers it wants to show you every goddamn thing he did in front of the camera regardless of whether it's funny or not. Which is what's so weird about that film is that they make him not funny and that's hard to do because he's a funny guy but he's doing all these goofs and none of them are funny. Yeah, they're just, they all go on for too long, and they hold on him for too long. Like, the timing is weird. And, like, the thing about Series of Events... reaction shots, it's bad. Yeah, and, like, I would argue that Jim Carrey is probably doing the same amount as Mike Myers is in Cat in the Hat. But this movie understands how to treat it. It understands that this performance is part of a whole, and the whole movie isn't just about jim carrey being funny as much as possible you know i mean i do also think it has to do with the character of count olaf because you can't really compare it to the cat in the hat because the cat in the hat is not a character he's just kind of a guy and he says some like like in the book he's just like a guy and then he says some things and then he leaves so when they do the movie and they're just like be funny, do whatever you want. So, like, the character is Mike Myers. Like, it's not anything right. else. Is it Mike Myers or Michael Myers? It's, it's, it's Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers. You always... <laughs> I always do it you because I say, said it right this you time. You say Michael like, Myers what if you that's mean wrong? Mike Myers. I mean God Mike Myers. Just know I'm always talking about the comedian from this point forward. <laughs> okay, Mike Myers. But they're just like, Mike Myers, here's this character that's basically nothing, so just be Mike Myers. And then Mike Myers is right. Mike Myers, and they just, like, focused on him so much because there's right. nothing to the cat in the hat. Yeah, he's he's just a, Tabby says he's just a demon. Yeah, he's not a character. <laughs> right. But then versus Count Olaf, who is a very strong, I just punched my mi- microphone, Jesus Christ. As opposed to Count Olaf, who is a very strong character and does 
have a character, period. Like, right. whenever, like, Jim Carrey is, like, doing goofs or whatever, it doesn't feel like Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. It feels like Jim Carrey doing goofs inside of Count Olaf, you know? Like, it feels... Right. Because what's so great about that performance, too, is that Count Olaf, even when he is being silly, that silly just kind of, like, alludes to, like, this, like, deeper, sinister intent that, like, it never... Right. It, it never turns into Mike Myers putting a fake butt and pretending that the couch is a car engine so that he right. can make a southern accent like it's never that it's right. always like count olaf is this self-absorbed actor who thinks he's amazing no matter what he does so he's doing all these stupid right. acting exercises and even right. though those exercises are funny the point of them is not that they're funny the point of them is that count olaf is so obsessed with himself that he thinks he's amazing like it always right yeah. it always fits inside the character Count Olaf thinks he's in The Cat in the Hat. Yeah, Count Olaf he's is not. expecting the movie to be cut together like The Cat in the Hat. Yeah. Um, Count Olaf but... thinks he's The Cat in the Hat. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so what do you think about the Littlest Elf intro? What are I, your thoughts on that? I wrote that down. I think it's an interesting choice, but I think it does work. Because, and I don't really have an answer for why it works. I think... <laughs> right. It, because it, you watched it when you were Because five, I like it, so it works. No, but I think... Right. Because of the relationship that Lemony Snicket kind of has with the audience and kind of has with the subject matter himself, itself, Jesus, like, it seems more like he's... Like, I don't know... It's like, it's creating a juxtaposition between what he's doing and what he wants to be doing. It's just another way to, like, show you, like, how sad and depressing this story is by showing you, like, right. the mainstream story that you should be saying. <laughs> what I don't like about The right. Little Self is they use it as an excuse to shit on people who like happy stories, like, <laughs> right at the end. And I'm like, why did that have to be a part of what? it? Why? <laughs> It's like, this isn't the littlest elf. And if you like the littlest elf, you're an idiot and I hate you. And you're Wait, when does it do that? It's, it's like, always telling you to go watch littlest elf. What do you mean? No, 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 no. He's like, at the end of the movie, he's like, but if you're the type of person that loves to think and invent and love and find sanctuary, then you don't need oh, right. the littlest elf. I don't, I don't know. I Whatever. Don't, they they <laughs> definitely come in at one point it. and are like, also, right. you like the little Estelle? Fuck you. And it's like, okay, but you, but you just said, you just said that was better. <laughs> so, okay. I want to talk about, I took a moment uh, this weekend to, not this weekend, this week, it's Friday, uh, to watch the director commentary on this movie, Ooh. which is a director commentary with Brad Silverling and... Daniel Handler in character as Lemony Snicket. That's fun. And let me tell you, I didn't learn a goddamn thing about the movie. No, that <laughs> because is also fair. It's very annoying, frankly, because he's just <laughs> Lemony Snicket, Daniel Handler in character, yeah, just yeah. like doing this extended bit about how horrible the movie is and how dreadful it is to watch and how could you have produced such a thing? It's so awful and like... That's the whole commentary. It's just him doing that. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I guess. I mean, it's kind of funny sometimes. And he has a couple of good lines. Mm -hmm. There's one point where they show the shot of Count Olaf's house for the first time. And he's just like, this is an architectural and moral horror. I was like, that's a good line. That's a good string of words. Is that, Uh, that wolf isn't real, is he? It probably is. What do you mean? He feel he, he might be real. He feels like he's photoshopped on top of something else, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the other line that I thought was really funny uh, is when he, he asked the director about something, and he was just like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, I kind of think of this whole movie as sort of like a happy accident. And he was just like, this is not a happy accident. This is something horrible that was done on purpose. <laughs> I thought that was really funny, too. That's really good, too. <laughs> But yeah, like literally, okay, literally the only thing I learned from about the movie from the director commentary is that the big tortoise in the living room at Montgomery Montgomery's house had diarrhea a lot on set. <laughs> oh that no. Was, because he just said like, that's a really good turtle. That's a very 
a very continent turtle that definitely didn't diarrhea all over the set while we were shooting. And they, like, went on to something else. That was literally the only insight I got into the production of the movie. Yeah. Was that tortoise's diarrhea. Here's the thing. Hey, anyone who's in charge of, like, the special features on the DVD, if you think your special feature is cute and funny and related to the film, but doesn't actually give any information, just take a step back. (laughs) <laughs> right and Wonder don't who's do watching that these. thing like god yeah. i will forever be upset about when i was 13 and we got the frozen dvd with the special features we specifically got the one with the making of frozen because i little 13 year old adeline who's into animation really wants to know like all the behind the scenes stuff of how to make frozen but here's right. the thing about Frozen, <laughs> is that they didn't know what the fuck they were doing during the making of Frozen. So, on the DVD, when someone had asked, hey, how did you do this? And instead of going, uh, fucking, I don't know. Instead, they just wrote a little musical number. And that's it. They, that's it, was, it, nice. It was like, how do we make Frozen? And then that was it. And they did not tell you how they made Frozen. And I was just so righteously angry. (laughs) They're keeping it secret. Okay. I hate it. Don't do that. Not to speak too well of Disney on this podcast. Yeah. But I feel like Disney Plus, in a lot of ways, is like truly the platonic ideal of what streaming services should be. Because they are the only streaming service that has like special features. Yeah. It. It's the only one where you can look at some movies have director commentaries, some movies have yeah. deleted scenes that you can just look at on the streaming service for free, which rules. That's yeah. the coolest shit ever. And every streaming service should do that. Well, what's even cool is, is that because they have the Disney vault or whatever, like they have all the old movies. Right. But what's cool is that they have the commentary on those old movies, which sometimes right. are kind of lost to time. So like when I watch Sleeping Beauty and I'm like, oh my god, this is a masterpiece. And then I can watch the, like, how they did it and, like, all the interviews with, like, all the old animators. And I'm like, oh. Right. This is so cool. It's cool. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's rules. More streaming services should have bonus features on them. I yeah, want because, more director like, commentary. I mean, it's different with Disney because they own all of the material. So, like, they know where right. those things are. But like, I guess that's true. Because I was remembering, like, the bloopers. We would watch the bloopers for this movie all the time because it's just Jim Carrey being silly. It's the stuff that they cut out because right. if they didn't cut it out, it wouldn't be funny in the movie. I was just thinking about some of those good goofs. And I was like, oh, maybe they're, like, at the end of the stream because, like, maybe Netflix has them. And they don't. Netflix doesn't have them. Right. But, like, who does have them? Like, is that a separate right. set of rights? Does anyone have that to, like, give to Netflix? Like, how does that work? Right. So, um... Here's another big take I have about this movie. Yes. The, I mean, I guess I'll just ask you, what do you think about the way they split up the books? How they split the first one into two halves at the beginning and the end? I do think, I think that would have been smart if they were planning on having this be a singular film, but because they were obviously playing on it planning on it to be a series like even at the end of the movie they planned for it to be a series it just it feels weird it feels like they wrap it up in a beautiful bow and then they untie the bow and then open the box again (laughs) like it's really weird because it gives this movie a five-act structure yeah which i I don't think kids movies should have five-act structures frankly (laughs) Because it makes this isn't your average kids movie, (laughs) right? Because you've got the introduction, then you've got reptile room, then you've got wide window, and then you've got the marriage at the end, and then you've got like the epilogue where they like revisit their house again. And like the thing about a five act structure is that it's you know in terms of like things that aren't three act structures, Mm -hmm. it's like the next most popular one, you know. Um. And, but I think that if you're giving a kid's movie a structure like that, Mm -hmm. it just makes it kind of drag, you know? Yeah. You're conditioned to watch them a certain way, and when you've been through, like, three different arcs already, you're like, are we about to wrap it up? Because I'm feeling pretty narratively satisfied right about now. Yeah, it's got got a weird uh, speed to it. Like... Because the fact that we're going through, like, three separate things rather kind of quickly 
Like, you think the pace would be really fast, but it weirdly Mm -hmm. isn't very fast. Like, we're changing from, like, where we are and what we're doing very quickly, but because they, like, kind of drag out that first story to the end, it does feel like we're getting, like, the information that we need for, like, the plot plot. It feels like we're getting that very slowly. So it's, like, kind of fighting itself about what pace it wants to go at, you know? Right. Um... Sorry, one moment. There's something else I wanted to say. Oh, here's my biggest take about this movie. This would fix this movie. This would fix every problem this movie has. Catherine O'Hara and Meryl Streep... You've said this to me ton, Billy. ...should switch roles. Can you imagine? Like, Aunt Josephine feels like it was a role that was written with Catherine O'Hara in mind. And, like... I feel like if they just switch roles, and obviously they never would have because Aunt Josephine's the larger role and Meryl Streep's going to get that one. Yeah. But, like, I genuinely feel like Meryl Streep would have been more interesting as Justice Strauss and Catherine O'Hara as Aunt Josephine would be a goddamn slam dunk. It would be so funny. Can you imagine it? Close your eyes, Adeline. Picture it in your mind's eye. I'm picturing it. I'm looking at you. I can see you're not closing your eyes. No, Eric, I'm picturing it. Although I do have to give it up for Meryl Streep in that one scene where they meet Captain Sham and her line reading on the Black Plague, is it the Black Plague? Is very funny. Yeah. That <laughs> makes me laugh every time. God, I <laughs> only, here's how good this movie is. I only got the joke about Stefano like today watching it. Like What joke? When I was little, it was just like, Oh, and there's this weird guy. He's got a funny accent. But I actually like listening to him talk as an adult. He's like, I've been bit 7,400 times. <laughs> and yeah. he's just like always talking about his plastic surgery and like all the times he's gone bit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I have the kipper in my mouth and I'm going to feed the snake. And, like he's just talking about all these things. <laughs> yeah, it's get, really like, funny. Bit in the... It's really funny. But again, like... it's really funny inside of Count Olaf because Count Olaf right. is this crazy character and he's also trying to justify why his face looks like that like it's so good yeah it's like this crazy actor who's like playing this character with like way too much business and he's like getting way too into it and like well because he's just committing to the character fully and he's like made a character decision he's just like sticking to it he's like oh my god got bit by a snake he got bit by 300 snakes here's this story about how i did like all this stuff and then at the end it's so funny when he gets when he gets like called out and they're like oh that is count olaf and he's like damn it this was such a good character like that's (laughs) it's so good (laughs) well and captain sham i think one of the best bits in this movie is how captain sham is like one second just like oh i can't tell you how sorry i is for bumping into you and your sister there like the most broken sailor English you can yeah. imagine. And then the next moment he's like, Oh, grammar be the most important thing in this here world to me, it do be. And fucking <laughs> Meryl Streep is just like, Oh my god, I can't believe you feel that me way too. too. Like, it's so good. <laughs> Listen. I don't, you know, sometimes <laughs> when you're older, <laughs> you just, any <laughs> man who says he likes more. grammars, you're just grabbing them, you know? <laughs> Once you hit a certain age. Once you hit a certain age, you're, you're dating pool of people who like grammar. <laughs> shrinking. Um, the, uh, but yeah, and there's those moments where you're just, like, near the beginning where they're making the pasta at Count Olaf's house. Yeah. Um, like, just the bits he's doing... Like, the bit where he's like, I call this one electric chair. And yeah. he, like, sits down in the chair and he's like, I think you might have to turn it up. And then he just, like, mimics getting electrocuted and yeah. dying. It's pretty good. Okay. Like, it's a bit being done by Count Olaf in context. But it's pretty funny. You gotta give it up yeah. for that one. It's just they know, <laughs> they know how to do humor in context. And I think that's really important for a kid's film. Because I feel like children's films, a lot of the time, they will stop what they're doing in order to tell a joke. And that's that's not good movie making. Right, the jokes are, like, integrated into this movie. Yeah, exactly. The jokes are important and tell you something about the character and are sometimes plot-related. Like, it makes the jokes are all integrated. Right. And let me tell you what I love in movies. I love people solving the fuck out of problems. Yeah. That's, (laughs) like, my whole jam. Um, that's why I like The Martian so much. That's why I like the first few seasons of Breaking Bad so much. Mm-hmm. Because those are all movies where it's just like, oh, fuck. If 
I gotta fix this. And I don't have that many supplies. Let me just fucking goddamn go apeshit on the stuff I have around. Have you ever watched fix MacGyver? the problem? No, I haven't. I feel like that's I don't like old television, but is that, whatever. Is that movie called, is it called MacGyver? Is that what the show's called? Yeah, the show's called MacGyver. Okay, then yeah. But like, and anyway. this movie absolutely scratches that itch for me. Especially, oh, yeah. like, the best one is when they're in the car about to be hit by the train. Oh, yeah, that's And they're that like pulling springs so cool. out of the upholstery, and they're like biting the heads off bobbleheads, they're trying to like. Mm-hmm. change the train switcher which is conveniently placed but whatever um and it's like i don't know it just rules it's fun and satisfying yeah. and there's like three different times where they're like doing like creative problem solving stuff yeah. on screen i love that i think it's I so good i love how effectively and just quickly this movie gives you information like that scene is so cool because like the car gets parked on the train tracks count olaf goes into the gas station does some funny bits but, right. again, showing off how crazy Count Olaf is. Like, it's very sinister. He's making all these jokes when kids are about to be hit by a train. Uh, right. But then, like, it's like, oh, here's the book. It's about how to inherit money. Oh, here's a thing about trains. Here's a list with a bunch of times on it. We figure out we're on the train tracks and the train's gonna come. All right, here's the problem. Those really cool shots where it's, like, the library and these specific yeah. books are being pulled out of Those the wall. Those inserts of, yeah, him thinking yeah. about books are That really just, good. like, tell you exactly what Klaus is thinking and how he got that information. And then him using it immediately is just, like, so effective and so cool. It's like, here are all the pieces you need to know. Go. We're doing the thing. It's like, ah, yeah. hell yeah. It, that sequence is so, like, narratively satisfying and, like, mm-hmm. well put together in terms of, like, how expertly they deploy every piece of information you need and have each one of those things pay off immediately you yeah know? well it's like even um, even at the very beginning when they're like introducing all the bowler children like they just do it so quickly they're like yeah here he likes books here's him reading books he does something cool with books and it's like great right. i got it cool i like <laughs> cool, it yo. And that's the thing about this movie I wanted to bring up that, like, the reason that works so well is because that's sort of the way it works in the in the books, too, mm-hmm. is that it's just, like, here's here's these three characters and their one character trait, you know? Yep, <laughs> and, um, and we're good. It's all you need. But it's, like, and, you know, obviously it's a little bit more complicated than just that, but, like, it's... It's everything emotionally in those books is very surface level, right? Mm -hmm. You're never doing... There's not a lot of interiority to it, you know? Yeah. Which is fine, because that's just sort of the tone of the book. It's just all about, like, you know, these kids who are just, like, constantly flying by the seat of their pants trying their best to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, the things that they like and the things they're, like, skills... And they love each other very much. And that's, like, basically all you ever need to know. There's something sort of fairy tale esque about it. Yeah. Um, And that's why I kind of don't like that weird sequence in the Count Olaf part where they're like, how could our parents do this to us? I have all these really complicated feelings about what's going on right now. It's like, no, I think you should just be sad and like books. I think we're good with just that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's well, weirdly, I, know. I feel like there's too much interiority to the characters in this. Yeah. And, like, Klaus is weirdly angry a lot of the time, which I don't really like. That kid plays Klaus, like, angrier than I like for him to be. Yeah, well, he plays him more like a teen boy rather than a fairy right. tale boy. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And it's, I, don't, I was thinking about because I remember last time that we watched this movie before this, we said that the kids were probably the weakest part of this movie, like, as far as yeah. the characters go. And I, w- I would agree with that. They're pretty much cardboard cutouts, and they do what we need them to do. And, like, anytime any of them says something emotional, I'm just like, whatever. But, like, it's yeah. not... <laughs> I kind of want to say it's it's not their fault. They're not bad actors. Yeah. It's the character that they're playing and the way that they should be playing the character when they try to do, like, emotional acting. It doesn't work because that's not what the character's like, you know? Right. Like, except for that part at the end where they they burn the piece of paper and then Violet turns to him and she goes, oh, (laughs) by the way... You're a terrible sucks. actor. That's the worst line reading in the it planet. It sucks. I hate that. It sounds like Debbie Ryan. Like, it's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst thing on the planet. God damn it. Um, she bites her lip. She goes like this. She doesn't, <laughs> but she might as well have. Um, and yeah, and the thing I don't like, because, like, ideologically, I like the idea of splitting up the first part into, like, in the first book into two parts that sort of bookend the movie. Mm-hmm. But... It doesn't change the fact that, like, Jim Carrey, or, like, Count Olaf getting the kids 
back a second time is weird no matter how you slice it. That, like, never feels right to me. Yeah, well, the whole thing... What I do like about the show is that they go into, like, how, like, the custody kind of works a little bit more. Because you, like, get a little bit more of, like, a B-plot of, like, the bank going on. Right. In this movie, it's just like, oh, here's the bumbling bank man. He makes decisions. So when he's like, oh, you let the baby drive the car. It's like, oh, he made a bad decision, but he's a good man. And it's like, that's (laughs) weird, first of all. But then when he saves the kids, and he's like, I misjudged you. I have the children back. It's just like, what? Yeah. what? Why, though? What? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird that he ever gives the kids back to him. Yeah, um, it's weird. The, and, like, even within the realm of the, like, absurdism of the buffoonery of Mr. Poe, it's just like, yeah. what? No. Like, why? how? Um I do remember, anyway. I don't remember the exact goofs, but I remember there just being some, it's a famous actor who plays the film, the theater critic, right? Who is that? Dustin Hoffman? Dustin Hoffman, that's right. I don't there's, get that bit. I don't either, <laughs> I don't but there's some really good deleted bloopers of him and the cop just like Cedric talking and making comments during the play, which are <laughs> right. hilarious, and I wish they kept in, because I feel like that's appropriate. yeah. It's weird because it seems like they're like, oh, we've got this thing that's like a play. Wouldn't it be fun to have like a Statler and Waldorf? Like, who can we pull in to do that? Yeah. And it's like, fine. But the thing about this play is that like, this is one of the parts of the movie that's not really very goof forward. Like, this is sort of like the central dramatic unit of this movie. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really benefit from having a Statler and Waldorf, (laughs) you know? I would argue that there are goofs in that scene and I and a few more won't hurt it. Like, when Count Olaf's like, be careful, this might get graphic. And then he just hits the mannequin and the <laughs> yeah. head goes flying off and the whole audience, like, starts gasping. Like, that's hilarious. He's got that he's got that Brendan Fraser wig on. Yeah. Which is really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, so what are, what are we, what are we at here? I'm kind of doing, well, we're at 50, Terms I'm at 50, time. but I lost, like, a minute in there. Yeah, so we, we gotta, we gotta keep it rolling. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if I have that much more to say. Besides, I the, just like. I have something weird to say. Is I just noticed this <laughs> okay. watching, watching this film, is that the way that Violet is designed and costumed, it's very. It's I hate to say it's almost Tim Burton-y because I think this this was before the Alice in Wonderland movie, but like it's very much right. that aesthetic, with like the striped socks and the ten billion petticoats and like the, all the like right. dots and layers and like buckles. Like it's very Victorian, very like right. twisted fashion. Yeah. But, and then Klaus is just wearing, like, a sweater and brown pants. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's fine. I, well, I just me. noticed that. I was like, that's weird. Like, she's, like, <laughs> decked out, full Victorian, like, <clears throat> right. matches the aesthetic so well. And then Klaus is just, like, in, a, in clothing that I think you own and could wear. <laughs> right, yeah. Sure, yeah, fine. Um, but why is that? <laughs> why let's just revisit. Let's, let's revisit how that turtle had diarrhea. Let's talk about that. Talk about more. that some more. Um, oh, I wanted to say that like there's some awesome sound editing in this movie. Mm-hmm. How like I love that whenever Count Olaf is in his like tight suits when he's around the house, you can always hear his clothes like groaning and squeaking as he like moves around. Yeah. Like they just make it feel like they're super tight on him, and you can just like hear the sound of him like leaning forward whenever he moves. Yeah. It's, there's it's like such a small thing, but it like has such a it all it, it's important to like the the feel of the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I described I don't know how exactly to put into words like that a movie just feels good and feels real. It's got like a tactile energy. You're to it. able yeah. to like fully give yourself over to it. I described Force Awakens as crunchy. Yes, yes, you did. That's that's <laughs> the best adjective I could think to describe a movie that just like so fully mm-hmm. feels like a real thing, you know? And I feel like Count Olaf's clothes squeaking because they're tight is like a perfect crunchy detail to yeah me. no totally this is like a top 10 crunchy movie for me <laughs> and like what are some other really crunchy movies uh labyrinth pretty crunchy movie Very Labyrinth crunchy. is a good example Ooh, ian says it's almost like the house is a part of his character whoa pretty tight that i would pretty write good. an essay about that 
Chad, what are some crunchy movies? Some show crunchy me some. Movies. Show me some crunchy movies. The Martian's pretty crunchy. Every time he eats Martian's a potato, I feel it. Pretty crunchy. I don't think it's as crunchy as any of those other movies, though. No, it's, it's not like a seven crunchy. out of ten crunchiness. What about Iron Man's pretty crunchy? I think the first Iron Man movie is a pretty crunchy movie. I don't remember Iron Man being very crunchy. <laughs> when he's like in the desert, he's like in the cave. Building that, stuff. That feels like cheating, though. The desert's always going to be crunchy. <laughs> like, there's always going to be sand and sand sounds. Of course it's going to be tactile and crunchy. But no, 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 no. Crunchy doesn't necessarily describe the the content. It just describes how well it, how good it feels. No, you know? I get no, you. Any crunchy movies from chat uh, yet? The Spirited Away is pretty crunchy. Like, when she gets... Yeah, see, that's a weird example. I think that is a pretty crunchy movie. Like, when she gets, like, all of the, like, tokens and, like, the bucket, and you can hear them all, like, click. And, right. like, all the machinery makes sounds. Like, the sound design of Spirited Away. Spirited Away! Good movie! And good flick. Very and, like, crunchy. when she pulls the bike out of the big gnarly trash guy. Yeah. That's or, a like, pretty crunchy... Or, like, when No-Face is, like, dropping the, like, gold droplets, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good example. Whoever said that, props. That's a good pull. I said that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were reading that from chat. Ian says Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Um, I don't think so. I don't think that movie particularly... feels. It does feel tactile, but it feels like a set a lot of the time. It really feels like it was shot on a Hollywood backlot to me. Yeah, that movie kind of feel. It feels like it's shot like a sitcom. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Kate says Mad Max Fury Road is being crunchy. Oh, that's a good. That's but that's I like, like a. I feel like that's, that's a the desert loophole movie. though. Like, there's no way that's not. Why do you be think crunchy. that's a loophole? Because it's anything. A desert is reliant on the fact that it's a desert, which means there is sand. So the sound design for the sand has to be well, very you'd tactile. Have to, you'd have to disqualify Force Awakens then too. Well, but they go other places. In, <laughs> right, okay. Like, when they go to the bar and there's all the aliens and three different aliens turn around and stuff like that. Like, there's other You'd there's have other to disqualify the crunchy. Martian, too. What? You'd have to disqualify the Martian, too. It's a desert No, planet. I was talking about the potatoes. The potatoes are crunchy. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or, like, when you, yeah. When he's, like, okay. out in space and there's, like, the rope and you can, like, it's, like, bumpy. OG Alien is another crunchy film. That's pretty crunchy. It's a pretty crunchy that's a film. Good, that's a good crunchy I one. I have refused to watch any Alien movie because they're gross. <laughs> and I won't do it. you're a wuss. Because I'm a wuss. That lady's giving birth and then um, an alien explodes all up in her womb. Nope, don't want it. That's don't want Prometheus, that. Evelyn. Is, that's is Prometheus. Different... That's not Alien. Is it not Alien? I thought that was Alien. Anyway. No. In Alien, they surgically remove... The sack from out of that woman, but then as they're lifting it up, it explodes. Yeah. And all the umbilical juices pour out all over her open surgery body. Yeah, that's what I fucking hate. I hate that yeah, so it rules. much. It's a good movie. No, it sucks. <laughs> Prometheus, good flick. No, bad, um, bad flick. Ugh. <laughs> God. You can feel me physically getting angry at you describing it because I hate it so much. Um, I just remember I walked in on you watching some alien movie where he, like, puts his hand in one of the eggs and it, like, breaks his arm and it's gross. That is, you've said this so many times. That's the trailer for life. For what? <laughs> the movie called Life, which was kind of an alien ripoff that okay. came out, like, three years ago. That was in the trailer where the guy reached in and he was like this little see-through like amoeba looking alien. Yeah. And he like crushed his fingers all up. You seem to think that that was part of an alien movie that I was watching and you say that every time. Because I I walked downstairs and it was on the TV and I feel like you had told me you were watching Alien. This is a memory from like four years ago. I think that is a false memory. I don't think Maybe it is. Somebody reached their arm into a sack and got their arm all broke. I don't remember what it is. (laughs) So, anyway, this movie looks great. Uh, pretty much the crunchiest movie ever. It's very crunchy. And uh, Jude Law is good as Lemony Snicket, and Catherine O'Hara and Meryl Streep should have switched roles. Those are my final. Also, it's a five-act structure, and kids' movies kind of shouldn't be five-act structures. shouldn't be that. Jim Carrey, great, knows how to tell jokes. Yes. It knows how to tell integrated jokes. 
<laughs> that sounds weird. It does sound weird. It sounds <laughs> like integrated jokes. <laughs> Not racially integrated, <laughs> like integrated into the story. <laughs> story, yeah. Um So yeah. How we doing, chat? We got anything got anything else we wanna do before we before we log out? I guess I feel like a lot of horror movies are very crunchy because they use the crunch for fear. Right. They use the crunch right, right, for right. evil, basically. Right, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think yeah, I think The Witch is a pretty crunchy movie. I mean, even, uh, what's the movie that we watched on the podcast? The Conjuring? Yeah, The Conjuring is pretty crunchy. Like, with That's the stairs crunchy. and, like, the basement. I don't think it's top-tier crunchy, but it's pretty crunchy. It's, it's pretty crunchy. And, like, when, like, things, like, when, like, people get, like, their arms yanked and stuff. Like, it's very right. tactile. The Witch is also, like, literally pretty crunchy because the opening scene is this old witch taking a baby and crushing it up. So that's pretty crunchy. <laughs> pretty crunchy yeah literally make some great crunching noises <laughs> what's that stupid horror christmas horror movie we watched oh it was not like a movie it was like a zero yeah, budget no. movie on hulu called like mother krampus that's right or something like that i just remember she like, say that was crunchy and makes cookies out of someone's back that's all i yeah. remember <laughs> That was such a, so that was, we had a phase where us and our friends like to just browse Hulu for like the shittiest looking horror movies we can imagine. And there are um, some gold, let yeah, me tell so you. <laughs> we watched a movie called Circus Kane. It's so good. Which is wonderful. We watched a movie called uh, Ouija 3, The Charlie Charlie Challenge, which was not about a Ouija board. It was about the Charlie Charlie Challenge. It is it's an not unofficial. It's really about the Charlie Charlie Challenge. <laughs> it's kind of about a haunted haunted house. Yeah, it's an unofficial sequel to Ouija Two. It's, it's really called good. Ouija Three, and we called it Ouija Three G. Um, Circus Kane is really good too, because it's kind of like it's like Saw but dumb and bad. <laughs> yeah, Circus Kane's great. Um, and both um, of, do both of those movies take place in haunted houses? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Which is uh, maybe and then we the watched... easiest set for a horror movie yeah, ever. Yeah, for some reason, all these movies are like, oh, what if this guy were doing a haunted house? But then okay. it turns out, when people showed up to the haunted house, there's actually something suspicious going on, and people start dying. It's like, whoa, way to subvert what, expectations. What if a haunted house was haunted? But, <laughs> uh, but then we also watched Mother Krampus, which was not as funny. It was just kind of gnarly and gross. Yeah, it's just it really just gross. Somebody's, it's not even like, funny. It's like, student film. Yeah, it was just like people getting like brutally like, murdered. It weirdly a whole bunch had of, like, like pedophilic undertones a little bit. Yeah. It was just, like, Not edgy good. as fuck. There's, Not like, good. a really specific kind of person in my film classes who's, like, definitely, like, a like a 20-year-old female film student who is obsessed with that kind of horror movie yeah. that I can picture very vividly in my brain that probably made Mother Krampus. <laughs> well, just, it's, they, they like the shock value of it, which I guess <laughs> right. is fair, but it doesn't make it a good movie, you know? <laughs> Any like, final thoughts about Count Olaf and his accomplices? Oh, God, Jim Carrey. <laughs> we loved him as he deserved. I we think have, we, we have no choice but to stand. Say what you just said again. We have no choice but to stand. We have no choice but to You dropped this, King. This <laughs> King. You're That's funny to me every time. You it's dropped funny. this king is always funny to me. <laughs> uh, okay, so, okay, let's see. Yeah, I think we're, we're good to call it. Um, give me cool. just a we minute. We had some good takes. Uh, yeah, just, we had a good time. We had some laughs. Let me, I gotta find uh, one star review. Actually, do any of you oh, guys want to write a review? Have any of you guys seen it that we can read as our sign-off? We'll give you a couple minutes. But you have to be funny. This is also going to it be It has to be funny. Why don't you why don't you look for one while they could possibly be writing one? That's what I'm doing. To save But it is time. gonna take me a minute because my internet is hella slow. If you live in because the Because I'm streaming and video chatting to you simultaneously. It's not a lot of space basement. left for anything else. <laughs> it's not a, not a lot of space for goofs or funny <laughs> things. <laughs> there is a lot of time, room Adeline? for me learning how a computer works. <laughs> There's a what lot of room do it for this time, that. Adeline? Look it up on, like, Amazon, because I can't really do it. 
Oh, do I have to find the review? Okay. Oh, yeah, this could be your job for this week. Head. Yeah, it'll be fun. Jackson, you have to be funny. Well, not right now, because this is going to get cut out of the podcast. Don't be funny for the chat, guy. Oh, how about I do this for the chat? Ugh. Don't put the guitar away. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> my, my audio didn't like that. Oh, by the way, I also saw a trivia fact that said that Billy Connolly uh, played the auto harp in the movie because mm-hmm. uh, apparently in real life he is a an experienced auto harp player. <laughs> which is a weird turn of phrase because the auto harp is literally an instrument designed to be played with no practice or talent. It's like... Like, Chad, if you see this, all it is is that you just have buttons with chords on them mm-hmm. and you press it down and it makes that chord when you strum it that's like the only thing that's involved with you i don't know how much better at auto harp you can be than as good as i am right now hey jackson do you want uh, yes do you want a half star review of a series of unfortunate events i would love that Wow, I'm doing it this time. It's weird and different. Yeah, uh, this is review is from Litterbox. Litter, God, Litterbox.com. <laughs> More like Litterboxed. <laughs> <laughs> from We're Litterbox.com. Like uh, by user. They're really quirky. Wait, Their review I, thought we d- is... I thought we weren't doing usernames anymore. <laughs> I just do it how I remember you doing it. Anyway, this review okay. is yucky and scary. Frowny face. <laughs> Ew. It's Who's too yucky? crunchy. It's too, <laughs> it's too crunchy. It's too crunchy. I don't like it. I don't it's like icky. It. It's too crunchy and icky. Gross. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> it's too crunchy. Anyway. <laughs> my name is Adeline McMurray. <laughs> and my name is Jackson McMurray. And this is No Nerds Alone. And there are no nerds alone. Burr, burr, burr. That's not the thing, so. Are you sure? Can it be? Will we get sued? <laughs> <laughs>